Hey everyone, welcome to Neighbor Science, the only podcast about political economy and AT and T. I'm Ryan Salisbury. I'm Peter De Beer, and uh, yeah, as you might have guessed from that intro, uh, today we're going to be discussing AT and T. Yeah. I don't. I, in I fact, don't know why in fact, because we love the audience so much, we're going to give you guys a bonus. We're talking about AT and T and Time Warner. So how about that? What? Yeah, man. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited. Yeah, we're very generous. <laughs> yes, yes, that's us. We're if you, if you awesome. appreciate our generosity, go ahead and uh, go to patreon.com slash neighbor science and uh, maybe give us a buck. <laughs> yeah, give us a buck and we will give you land holdings on the moon. Has that flawless, absolutely flawless plug. <laughs> yes, perfect. Um, uh, yeah, so... Uh, AT&T this month got approval from a federal district court to acquire Time Warner, uh, also known as Warner Media, for $85 billion. So today we're going to be dissecting this deal and talking about what it means for us. And and uh, for those of you who know what a big geek I am, it actually means quite a bit to me, um, <laughs> just from an from a, um, entertainment perspective because I Peter has a shrine to AT&T and Time Warner in his closet and he's been secretly yeah. hoping this merger would go through this whole time yeah my, my, my shrine has a naked Superman <laughs> and a, a, a very um, 80s uh, S&M style Batman um, holding up the AT&T logo so yeah, I like your cardboard yeah. cutout of uh, John Martin, CEO of Turner Broadcasting. Yeah, I think that really completes the piece there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, okay, <laughs> so this deal is huge, but but obviously not the biggest. Um, yeah, I it's not even the biggest you... deal in in uh, Time Warner history. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Uh, uh, and when was the Time Warner thing? Uh, uh, Oh yeah, the, the the big one was in two thousand and one, when AOL and Time Warner um, had uh, pretty much the largest merger in American history. Yeah. Um, and the, the merger was for one hundred and three billion dollars. This is with AOL. I don't know if you mentioned that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. AOL okay. and Time Warner in two thousand and one. Yeah, I've been uh, stroking out all morning, so. <laughs> <laughs> um. The merger was for 103 billion. That's how much it cost. And at the end, uh, Time Warner was valued at 350 billion. So, yeah, that's that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, but it was also in the middle of the dot com bust, so it uh, did not go very well. It was like, let's buy this company and, and make ourselves a lot of money. And oh, yeah, everyone knows oh. what a hot property AOL was in 2001. <laughs> <laughs> When we, well, were, the when we were fucking is, shooting free AOL CDs with BB guns. <laughs> That's what I remember <laughs> doing in like 2000. <laughs> I didn't, honestly, until I started doing research for this podcast, I didn't even know who AOL was. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, AOL, uh, in, in the US uh, during the 90s, AOL was, was really hot. Um, it was like, the, it was the weirdest version of the internet that I've ever seen. Because they had like it was it was an ISP, but they also had like their own like way to access the web. So they had like AOL keywords instead of like regular domain names. 
So like anytime there was a commercial on TV, it would be like, uh, yeah, our website is, uh, you know, Nickelodeon.com, AOL keyword Nick. And so you could go on AOL and they had this portal and you, you type in Nick as a keyword and it would go to the site instead of just like going to the regular domain name. And um, they gave away uh, AOL trial CDs at Blockbuster and in like uh, grocery stores and stuff. So like places were just like littered with these fucking CDs. Like, and and I th- I'm pretty sure that you could like use multiple of them. So people would just like use AOL for free by using the CDs. <laughs> but AOL sucked really bad. So like no one really wanted to do it. Um, except for like old people, basically it was, yeah, it was a weird time. Yeah. It sounds like a very weird time. My yeah. uncle actually worked for them during this merger. Oh, uh, 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 please. please <laughs> he doesn't work for either of those companies anymore. <laughs> well, that's good. Good for him. Yeah. Good for him. No one should have to suffer for that long. Yeah. He got in just um, at the right time. I mean, he moved, I think he, I'm pretty sure he moved here in 2001. <laughs> Perfect timing. Then. So, yeah. Okay. So, what we're going to be talking about today is this merger. And um, obviously, it's a big deal uh, because the the U.S. Department of Justice has got several big mergers that they're ruling on at the moment. And, and how this one turned out will, will affect a number of them. But we'll get into that um, a little bit later on. Um. I think you get started with the stuff that you've had a look at, and I will interject and and distract us throughout. Okay, so yeah, this was a there was a big antitrust case for this. Um, probably not everyone has been following it. I'm I'm sure almost everyone uh, that that we know has been following it closely. But you know, for the handful of people who are just too busy with their lives to uh, read about uh, business deals. Um, yeah, there was a big court case, uh, an antitrust uh, case. Um, so basically, in the in the U.S. law, uh, if you try to do a merger or an acquisition and your company is over a certain size or valuation, then you have to get it approved by the DOJ. Um, and so that that's that falls under antitrust law. And um, just as an aside, I was I've been wondering why anti-monopoly law is called antitrust law in the U.S. And uh, the word trust is used because a common practice that started in the late 19th century with Standard Oil uh, was creating a corporate trust. Um, So Rockefeller had to figure out a way to maintain control over a bunch of acquisitions that Standard Oil made. So his top lawyer, uh, his general solicitor for Standard Standard Oil, uh, came up with the corporate trust as a way to hold these properties. So he formed the Standard Oil Trust. And uh, so the individual shareholders of the 40 corporations that Standard Oil owned agreed to transfer their shares to the Standard Oil Trust. And so soon after that, um, antitrust law was developed in the U.S. So that, that's the reasoning behind the name. This is just something I was so always been curious about. Curious that, about. That's, that's very clever of these capitalists to create umbrella corporations that then... Um, can release viruses and kill everyone in Raccoon City. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So let's see. I'm going to talk about the merger approval first, um, even though it's second in the notes. So uh, okay. the the court decision to approve the merger has been heavily criticized. 
Um, oh my god! I uh, before you get started, okay. I read three or four different articles of people that were analyzing the judge's um, notes, uh, and you know his his opinion that he writes afterwards. And my god, it's saying that it's heavily criticized is definitely underplaying what's actually happened. <laughs> this opinion has been ripped to shreds. Yeah. Except for uh, my favorite uh, tweet thread by the uh, GMU law and econ professor who was like, hmm, yes, this is good, actually. <laughs> yes, it's, it's very good. And, and I know this because I, I work for an antitrust uh, think tank. Yeah. And I, I saw that I saw that thread by the way and Yeah, I, I think he was typing it with one hand as his other hand was cashing his coke checks. And stroking himself off at the thought. <laughs> yes, of, he has three um, hands. <laughs> 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 um <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm never gonna so, get that image out of my head now. <laughs> uh so okay. Judge Leon, the judge for this case, uh, notes that uh, AT&T has competitors like Google, Netflix, Facebook, and Hulu, uh, which is strange because uh, Warner Media has a 10% stake in Hulu, so I'm not sure how they could be a competitor. Uh, but anyway, he fails to take into account the fact that these companies depend on AT&T and Time Warner Cable for customers to access their services. So, like, well, this is. This is exactly what I'm wondering now. Like, wouldn't an actual competitor to AT&T be another telecoms company? Yeah. Yeah, like, but why uh, they, you... they treated this whole thing as if the merger was, like, uh, Warner A Media. A foregone conclusion. Like, like, Turner Broadcasting, and then, like, that's it. Like, yeah, <laughs> it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, no. So... The expert witness for the DOJ um, inexplicably testified that the merger would dramatically lower costs for customers. So, like, the person that the DOJ got to make the case that this merger was bad uh, repeatedly was just like, oh, no, yes, this merger will be good, actually. Um, so, I wonder if it was the GMU guy. Um, so, even though uh, Netflix is mentioned as a competitor um, and AT&T will be preloading Warner Media content onto its devices and exempting it from data caps. Uh, the DOJ doesn't seem to think this constitutes an unfair advantage, um, which is weird. Um, the judge also twice quotes AT&T's CEO calling the merger a vision deal. So he's like just fawningly kissing the ring of the AT&T CEO like while he's supposed to be deciding this case about whether the merger is a good idea. Um, and... Uh, Leon never once brings net neutrality into the case. He seems to think that Google and Facebook are uh, comparable to a merged AT&T and Warner Media, despite them not being uh, the largest telecom company on earth. So, yeah, completely baffling. Uh, so one of the primary reasons the DOJ lost the case is because uh, this is a vertical merger. So the difference between ver vertical and horizontal is that uh, a horizontal merger would be like if um, if Google and Bing merged. So like two uh, two businesses in the same industry merging together is a horizontal merger, whereas uh, two businesses in 
related but different industries like a telecom and a company that depends on access to telecom infrastructure is a vertical merger. Um, so um, case law in the U.S. has plenty of uh, antitrust precedent about horizontal mergers uh, because that is like what we traditionally consider to be a monopoly uh, but very little about vertical mergers. So it, it's obvious that a merger between two direct competitors resulting in a very large share of a single industry is an excessive degree of control over a market uh, that's you know uh, antithetical to competition because it's a monopoly or something close to it. But what's less obvious is the advantage gained when direct competitors uh, to the media business in the merged company depend on the telecom business in the merged company. So they aren't gaining a power advantage because of the dominant market share of the new company, but because they control infrastructure that's necessary for their competitors to function. Um, and the biggest it's issue... Almost, go ahead. Sorry, it's, it's almost like the judge doesn't actually understand any of the stuff that he's ruling on, or he's very much in the pocket of the the defendants here. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Seems like a big dumb idiot. Um, so the biggest issue with this court case is that because AT&T won, um, instead of like, like the DOJ could have like not brought this to court and like conditionally approved the merger, but because they went to court and lost... The merger can proceed entirely on AT&T's terms. So contrast this with the 2011 merger of Comcast, NBC Universal, uh, which had over 150 conditions set by regulators, to, including giving up the right to manage Hulu through its stake in the company and being limited in the degree of integration with other parts of the media industry. So AT&T's new ownership is, uh, uh, sorry, AT&T's new ownership of CNN is the major point of contention here with uh, experts believing that AT&T should be forced to sell CNN, if not the entire TV division of Warner Media. Um, AT&T has promised not to use its, uh, its ownership of Turner Channels to strong arm other, other telecom companies by uh, charging ex exploitative licensing fees or blacking out channels during negotiations for those fees. Um, and they included an arbitration clause in their merger agreement to use a uh, third-party negotiator for licensing fees. Um, so I say we'll see if this actually matters in the notes, but uh, as I will talk about later, uh, it doesn't. <laughs> so Yeah, uh, I mean, this is basically going to a capitalist and saying, now don't you be a capitalist. And then saying, oh, come now, come now. I promise I won't be a capitalist. Yeah, don't worry. Don't worry. Uh, I won't do this specific thing that you don't want me to do. I'll even put it in writing for you. That's basically yeah. what they did. And uh, yeah. yeah, so they're doing they're going to do something else instead. And I mean, um, you know, there's there's so much precedent um, within the horizontal merger thing here. And there's there's actually quite a bit of overlap in the business that AT&T is in and the business that Time Warner was in that that there, there's a solid case that could have been made um, to prevent the, the horizontal elements of the merger. So. Like, I, I can't help but feel like the DOJ really fucking fumbled this one. Oh, they definitely did. Yeah, for sure. Like, like they went in very soft. So, 
I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, the other thing um, that's weird about the case that I'll mention is that um, ordinarily uh, these kind of cases use like documents from the business that's proposing the merger um, to prove whether or not their intention is to like you know monopolize an industry. Um, but in this case, um, they <laughs> the uh, winning side went with uh, models like neoclassical economic models. And that was their proof that uh, this would actually be good for consumers. So, you know, the, the, the discipline that is completely unscientific and is literally wrong about everything and refuses to admit it, uh, that is the thing that was used to establish that this was a good idea. Uh, whereas... Actual reality, uh, not good. Not good enough. Too poor uh, of, of a standard of evidence. Um, okay. okay. Let's take a look at what's actually being consolidated here. Yeah. Um, so, um, Warner Media, uh, a.k.a. Time Warner, um, has a lot of uh, major businesses that we're familiar with. So, the biggest uh, is Warner Brothers Entertainment. Uh, which in 2017 made 14 billion dollars uh, through films like Wonder Woman, uh, It, and Dunkirk. Uh, it also has a lot of popular shows, including the Chuck Lorre productions like Two and a Half Men and Big Bang Theory, and then uh, more prestige shows like Westworld. Um, they also have Turner Broadcasting, uh, which is uh, you know classic uh, TV network. Uh, their 2017 revenue was 12 billion. And uh, they own popular channels like Cartoon Network, CNN, TBS, and TNT. They also own HBO, uh, which in 2017 made $6 billion. Um, they have 134 million subscribers worldwide. Uh, they also own Cinemax. Uh, that's part of HBO. And finally, DC Comics, uh, which is the reason that Warner Media can make Justice League and Wonder Woman. Um, yeah. 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 I, 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 I'm not going to lie to you. The one thing that I want to see come from this deal is a decent DC movie, live action movie. Uh, Wonder Woman was okay, but the rest of them have all sucked. So <laughs> uh, as, as as a nerdy geek person, that's the only thing I want to see positively out of this deal. The rest of it can all go to hell. I don't care. Yeah. So a AT&T's holdings are uh, not quite as interesting. Um, it's all... AT&T blank, depending on what industry they're in. So telecom, uh, wireless communication, landlines, uh, that kind of stuff. So I'll talk about the history of AT&T a little bit. Um, so AT&T itself is a huge telecom company. Uh, everyone knows that AT&T was at one point forced to break up into smaller companies. Um, this happened in 1984. That's when, <laughs> I think that's when it took effect. I yeah, love yeah, that yeah. year. I yeah. love that year. So much very important 1984. Yeah. Um, I think the actual decision was made in 1982. But uh, U.S. courts forced them to break down into seven uh, what they called regional Bell operating companies, uh, which were Ameritech, Bell Atlantic, Bell South, Ninex, like N-Y-N-E-X, uh, Pacific Telesis, Southwestern Bell, and U.S. West. So 
um, Bell Atlantic acquired 9X and GTE, which was then the largest independent phone operator, and renamed itself Verizon in 2000. So that's where Verizon came from, uh, which is now the world's second largest telecom company. Okay. Southwestern Bell renamed itself uh, SBC Communications in 1995 and acquired Ameritech, Pacific Telesis, and SNET in the late 90s. In 2000, it joined forces with Bell South to, to conglomerate over 100 smaller companies into Singular Wireless, which then became the second largest wireless carrier in the country. It soon became the largest when it published, uh, published purchased AT&T Wireless in 2004, rebranding itself as the new AT&T in 2005. And the next year, it purchased Bell South. So that's what's now known as AT&T. So um, in 1981... Um, right before it was broken up, uh, when it was considered a monopoly, AT&T made $7 billion in net revenue. So if it had continued growth with inflation, you know, nothing special, uh, without being forced to break up, uh, it would be earning uh, $18.5 billion now. Uh, but today's AT&T, however, doesn't make even close to that. It makes $83 billion, which is a growth of nearly 1,200% from that 1981 number. Uh, so, so AT&T, we're talking, oh, go ahead. We're talking about uh, an annual revenue now of um, putting everything together. You're probably looking at around a hundred and eighty billion dollars. That's uh, that's not something to sneeze at. Yeah, no. Um, so AT and T is a great lesson in the importance of mergers and acquisitions. Um, Time Warner isn't even the first major TV provider that AT and T has purchased. Uh, because in 2015, it purchased DirecTV for $67 billion. Um, it also has produced a lot of other businesses from um, from mergers. For example, in 2014, it purchased uh, USACEL. I'm, I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly. Uh, it's a major wireless carrier in Mexico. And a few months later, it purchased another carrier, Nextel Mexico, and merged the two into AT&T Mexico. So the resulting business controls 13% of the Mexican mobile phone provider industry. Hmm. Okay, so they're not just playing it in, in one country. They're, they're, they're yeah, they're, they're very much multinational. Yeah. Very much. Okay. Okay, so um, I guess the big question is really how this merger will affect consumers. And uh, the the... the the short answer is dramatically. Um, but we're not here to give short answers. We're here to give long answers. Um, <laughs> yeah. We love um, talking a I, lot. Yeah. I love the sound of my own voice. I do it in the mornings. I, I sit in a nice quiet room and I just talk to myself. <laughs> that way I'm guaranteed at least That's one literally what I'm doing right now, except you're on the phone with me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So AT is... AT&T has done this deal in order to take on the big streaming services who already dominate um, the market share in the streaming world. Um, obviously, I'm talking about Netflix. I'm talking about Google, Amazon. Um, some people would like to include Apple, uh, like Apple themselves, now with their <laughs> deal with Oprah. Um, which oh, shit, I, they got I Oprah? Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got uh, a oh, multi Yeah, it's over. they <laughs> They got Oprah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Everyone else, go home. Um, <laughs> okay, so um, Netflix, Google, Amazon, uh, Apple, 
and, and, and several others are already way in the lead when it comes to offering streaming services. And so AT&T is trying to play catch up uh, along with other media companies like Comcast and Disney um, who are currently battling it out for ownership of Fox. Um, but they're not just playing catch up. With, with a move like this, they're trying to leapfrog everyone. They're trying to get so far ahead of the game that everyone else is then forced to turn back and come to them to negotiate for um, AT&T's uh, even higher profits. Um, and that's because the big tech companies don't have that direct relationship that AT&T has with customers. In fact, I mean, you've already mentioned, without AT&T as an intermediary acting as service providers, the big tech companies wouldn't have much of anything at all. Yeah. So, so really, this is a very big move by AT&T to undercut what will be their main media competition. Essentially, it leads to a world where packages of content are curated and disseminated by the same companies that provide the broadband service you need to watch it on in the first place. Now, and I, I, I think I, I forgot I, to mention... I don't. I don't think I put it in here, but uh, part of Time Warner is Time Warner Cable, which is a a really major ISP in the U.S. So, like, they're they're merging two ISPs together. <laughs> so, a literal horizontal deal. Well done. Yeah, people. I don't know why the DOJ never brought that up. It seems like they're extremely stupid. Yeah, like at least when Bayer bought Monsanto, Monsanto was required by law to sell off any and all parts of the business that conflict with um, Bayer. You know, like yeah. in, in that sense, it, it makes sense. That's how horizontal mergers work. But because this was classified as a vertical merger, uh, suddenly they overlook all the horizontal elements. It doesn't yeah. make any sense to me. <laughs> um, although I'm sure it makes sense to all the capitalists out there. Um, now, I've been debating this this merger for going on three months now with several people and I've seen the argument made that the content to be produced by Warner Media would have to be superior to what is being offered by the likes of Netflix in order for um, this uh, the the control over the um, broadband to even matter in the first place what are you talking um, to ANCAPs <laughs> Uh, several of them, I think, might have been. I don't. I don't really <laughs> go into them. I, I, I prefer sticking to the arguments, which is probably why I suck at Twitter. Yeah. Um, um, and and up until about a month ago, I might have agreed. But as you said earlier, two weeks ago, the federal rules that were put in place to prevent. Um, an ISP from favoring internet traffic that carries its own content over competitors' content, that got revoked by the FCC. Yeah. So AT&T now gets to push Warner content as hard as it wants, even though it says it, it's not going to. Um, and what it viewers already did. Really <laughs> get, viewers really have no choice but to accept it or give up watching stuff altogether. There is no third option here because even if you don't subscribe to any of the packages and go the route of pirates, the data you use to access the illegal content is still going through ISPs like AT&T. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure most of our listeners know this, but 
in the U.S., you know, uh, ISPs are very regional. So in a given area, you'll have a choice between like two or three, maybe even not even a choice. Uh, so, you know, you have at most like AT&T, Time Warner Cable, and like Verizon. Those are your three choices, which now are all AT&T based companies. Isn't that great? <laughs> It's it's that it's that age old thing of of the cow getting to choose which door to go through to get to the slaughterhouse. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, there's also the major issue of advertising. Um, AT and T has not slouched on this front, um, and uh, they they've literally come out. Um, sorry, one second. Um, they've literally come out. Uh, saying that they're planning to leverage uh, user data from the broadband and direct TV side of things to give a huge boost to targeted advertising. So Woo! everything that people, yeah, <laughs> everything that people have been so upset with Facebook for is going to be replicated by a company with a much larger degree of control over everyone's daily media intake. <laughs> and let's not forget for a second that AT&T had originally started a service where you could pay to forego targeted advertising. But that program was ended in 2016, right around the time that they made their original bid for Time Warner. Now that the deal is finalized with Warner Media, AT&T has immediately moved ahead with a $2 billion bid to buy AppNexus which is an ad exchange platform that already services a lot of AT&T's needs. Um, incidentally, AT&T's head of advertising and analytics, uh, Brian Lesser, he used to serve on the board for AppNexus. So <laughs> this is a lovely little uh, incestuous Revolving door. <laughs> so bad. Um, okay, so that's the advertising side of things. Now, the merger... As I said right in the beginning, it also paves the way for a multitude of other deals that will consolidate not only the media industry, but a whole myriad of industries. First, there's um, Comcast, Disney, Fox, Love Triangle. Then there's the T-Mobile Sprint merger, which is um, ongoing. Uh, then there's uh, CVS uh, Health and Aetna, who are um, in the process of merging. Um, and I think there's also Cigna and Express Scripts who are planning a massive merger. So here we've got entertainment, we've got telecoms, we've got health industry. By, by allowing this precedent to be set, we are about to see, uh, well, what we've seen now is just the tip of the iceberg. The mergers now are going to come thick and fast. This is how the media industry is going to adapt to big tech pushing in on their traditional territory. They're going to team up with ISPs and telecom to use net neutrality <laughs> to limit access. Sorry, I'm very proud of that one, and I, I, I'm going. I, I'm thinking of trademarking it. <laughs> um, I, I haven't heard about that CVS Aetna merger. That's extremely fucked up because Aetna is one of the largest health insurance companies in the U.S. and CVS is the largest pharmacy in the U.S. So, like, yeah, I mean, that's that's a vertical merger, so it's probably going to happen. Um, also, I but, think it's pretty fucked up that that Cigna, 
a massive pharmaceutical company is joining up with Express Scripts, uh, which is all about giving out medical scripts. Yeah, um, I haven't heard of I haven't heard of uh, Express Scripts, but uh, yeah. So you you probably don't know much about uh, how like picking up a prescription works in the U.S. So it, when you go to CVS to get a prescription filled, um, it, depending on your insurance provider and plan and what you tell the pharmacist about like who, who your insurance is or how you're paying for it or whatever, you could be charged like $5 or $300. So like a lot of times if you, if you say, uh, I'm picking this up and my, uh, my insurer is Aetna, you'll actually be charged way more for your prescription then if you just say, yeah, I'm just picking up my prescription and, and I'm paying for it myself. Or it could be the other way around. And pharmacists are actually forbidden from telling you like what the cheapest way to get your prescription is. Even if, you know, even if you're about to pay $10,000 or something for some pills and you could be paying $1, they're not they're like it's illegal for them or at least company policy I'm not sure which for them to uh, to not say anything about it. So they could just overcharge you for no reason. And so if if Aetna is merging with CVS, like this kind of practice is going to get even worse. And they're probably going to charge even more money for, you know, for competitors or for their own prescriptions, depending on which is better for their bottom line. <laughs> it's so fucked up. Like, that is ridiculously. This is incredible. Up. We we should if if that merger happens, we will have to cover it. Okay, while you were talking, I just read ahead in the notes a little bit because yeah. <laughs> stuff that you added in overnight. Yep. And I'm a little speechless right now, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you to go ahead. Okay. Holy so. Fuck. So even before net neutrality was a public issue, uh, AT&T was already exercising its power as a provider to, to stifle certain content. So when it released AT&T U-verse, which I think was, I, I didn't write it down, I think it was 2013 or 2012, um, it pushed local public, uh, local public educational and government access channels, uh, which are known as PEG channels into a special menu rather than being included in the ordinary programming guide. So like when you hit the guide button on your remote and browse through all the TV channels, uh, public access TV is not there. Um, it's You have to go to like a menu and go find it somewhere. So they were criticized by public access uh, advocacy groups but, uh, for you know basically limiting their audience for no good reason. Um, so that, was, that happened in 2015. Um, or maybe it was earlier. I can't remember. Just uh, fucking, I'll put it in the notes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so fast forward to now, and AT&T has wasted no time at all in destroying net, net neutrality for its own ends. So California is currently uh, floating a bill to enforce net neutrality in the state. And AT&T lobbyists successfully pressured legislators to remove several prov provisions. So the most obviously bad amendment is one that would ban ISPs from oh sorry I wrote charging it would ban ISPs from charging websites or online services for access to end users so like the thing that we said was probably going to happen where it would use its 
control of infrastructure to hamstring uh, competitors that rely on that infrastructure, yeah, they're already making sure that it's legal for them to do that. So uh, another uh, amendment that they made, uh, like the, yeah, the amendment would have enforced uh, bandwidth requirements at net network interconnection points. So the reasoning behind this provision was uh, due to a case involving Netflix where Comcast, who was uh, ironically at the time trying to acquire Time Warner, uh, charged Netflix exploitative prices for a uh, so-called direct connection to the network, uh, which Netflix needed to, uh, needed to acquire to establish a CDN for its service. So even though net neutrality was technically policy at the time um, in the FCC, uh, they're basically not doing net neutrality because um it was like what netflix was paying for was not a direct connection so like they they were basically not getting enough bandwidth uh for their cdn and so they had to they charged them extra money uh to to receive enough bandwidth um sorry i lost my place now um yeah, yeah. So, I, so yeah, that that provision to enforce bandwidth requirements to make sure that something like that doesn't happen, uh, that was taken out of the bill. And then finally, uh, another. Oh, sorry, I skipped one. Uh, another provision would prevent ISPs from charging businesses to get unlimited data usage. So, um, in much of the world, probably most of the world, uh, data caps are the norm. But in the U.S., yeah. they're not. You just pay for bandwidth, which, you know, makes sense because. There's no limit on the amount of data that can go through over a period of time, except as limited by the bandwidth of the connection. So, like, all you should be paying for is a share of the pipe. Like, like if we think of it as uh, as an analogy for, you know, um, for like a water, a water pipe. pipe. Like, yeah, like if water were were completely unlimited. You know, if if water companies didn't have to like pump water out of the ground or anything like that, then all that would matter is the flow rate that you're using. So that's how the internet actually works. There's no limit on the amount of data that can go through the pipe. You know, they don't have to mine data from anywhere, pump data out of the ground. So all that matters is the share of the you know flow that you're using. Um, so that's that's how you normally pay for internet in the U.S. In other countries like South Africa uh, and Bahrain, you you have a certain data limit. So once you use up your you know six gigabytes or whatever it is, um, that's that's all the internet you get for the month, unless you pay for more. Um, so this provision. I have would prevent- you know, I have you know, I'm capped at a hundred gigabytes. That's so, so fucking low. <laughs> I would use that in like a week. <laughs> All jokes aside, like I, I download a lot of content. I watch a lot of YouTube stuff. Uh, I'm permanently connected, and I struggle to get through 100 GB, man. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, do, do, do you know what I think it is? It's because you people stream so much. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. Um, I, I prefer not to stream. I'm one of the people that still uses SoulSeek. People make fun of me for that all the time. Uh, all the all the Spotify uh, master race people. Um, anytime they see that I use Soulseek, they're always making fun of me. But it, like, hey, I only have to use the data to download a song once. You use it every time you listen to the fucking thing. So yeah, now who's a dummy? 
Yeah, um, dummies listening to music over and over again. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that <laughs> amendment uh, would have uh, prevented ISPs from charging websites or online services um, from um, for having uh, data caps removed. So, like, they shouldn't be allowed to put data caps in at all. Uh, but now they will be able to because of AT&T lobbyists, which is really cool. Um, so another uh, thing that happened with net neutrality uh, yesterday, uh, which was Thursday because we're recording this on a Friday, um, AT&T released a new service called Watch TV, which is a uh, so-called skinny bundle of mostly Turner channels. So like those channels they just acquired. Uh, which means they were planning ahead for this, uh, by the way, because there's no way they could release a new product in like four days. Um, so they, they pretty much knew that this deal was going to happen. Um, so AT&T customers with unlimited data plans get Watch TV for free, while non-AT&T customers can get it for $15 a month. Um, which is, I mean, like if you're on, so if you're on their service, then you get more access to, um, to content than if you're not on their service. Um, it also softly announced uh, rate increases for its unlimited data plans, uh, which, according to the FTC, is a monopoly practice called tying. Um, and uh, a Forbes article from Wednesday that aged like complete dog shit, uh, this guy Larry Light wrote, in this age of tech disruption, what does the merger spell? Lower prices. So the whole article was about how this merger would result in lower prices, and uh, the next fucking day, he was proven completely wrong. (laughs) So, oh god, I don't actually have words for this, because it's a complete fucking shit show. Yeah. Yeah. Thank god we used economic models to prove with logic and reason that customers would pay lower prices. And those models are, are very accurate and match empirical reality, you know. Unlike those those documents <laughs> of what the business actually does and plans to do. I'm 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 shocked. I really should have read the notes before the show because I I, <laughs> I don't even know what to think right now. Like, okay, so it released this watch TV thing already, right? And like you can't roll a product out in uh, in just a few days. Like that's no, just a, it's completely fucking impossible. Not. So that means they would have had documents uh, of them planning this service. So like, if the DOJ had these documents, they could have brought them into court and been like, "Here, uh, AT and T is planning to violate net neutrality, and uh, they're also planning rate increases for their unlimited data plans." And that should have been the, the end of the fucking court case. <laughs> like the 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 thing that is flabbergasting me the most is the timing here. It's, yeah, it is fucking uncanny that net neutrality is taken off the books two weeks before the largest telecoms media merger. And oh my! It's like watching I, I, someone I, do a Battletoads speed run, like. <laughs> It's just like fucking incredible. <laughs> I, I I just ah uh, this is this. I mean, I can understand. I can almost respect 
the the wheelings and dealings and underhanded machinations and planning and stuff that happens in the capitalist world and yeah. how clever people have to be to get away with it uh, uh, without you know alerting the masses to what they're actually doing this is it, it's it's in your face it's it's yeah they're like blatant. walking into times square and whipping their cock out and flapping it around at everyone and and saying no, we're 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 not doing anything. The rest of you are just fucking hallucinating. <laughs> like what the fuck, people? Yeah. Ah, oh, fuck. Okay, okay. Um, I'm gonna move on before I I have a complete fucking meltdown. Yeah. Um. Now, man, it's weird. We're going through the, this like really fast. Yeah. I don't know if you've noticed the, the time. We're only at forty eight minutes. <laughs> I, I think I think I'm talking too fast. I think that's the problem. I think we're both um, too too overexcited, and I haven't done nearly enough um, distracting throughout the episode, <laughs> which which technically we established last week is, is now your job. So, yeah, yeah, I should have been talking about Twitter time. more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's been plenty of Twitter talk that we could have covered. Um, yeah, on okay. that note, uh, we are an anti-work podcast. So, <laughs> if you're in favor of work. Uh, kindly fuck off or get on our yeah. side <laughs> yeah I, I think i posted it on our um need to look it up now i'm sure i posted it on our facebook page right after we first started the the podcast it was like one of the first things i did was this meme um basically just an automated factory line saying um no jobs for anyone and and I kind of stand by that. I feel good about that. Yeah. I'm pretty proud of uh, this reply that I did yesterday. Someone was like, don't we need to do work to like fucking survive? Like, how are you going to have a world with no work? And I just posted pictures of robots doing, <laughs> doing work. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, I don't understand that thinking. Like, no, I hate my job, but I need it in order to survive. Nobody. No, 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 no. You need to kill the capitalists in order to survive. <laughs> well, the the crazy thing is like, okay, so uh, Trevor, uh, our our friend friend of the show, uh, posted this whole thing, like basically, you know, establishing uh, what he is for and against, or what he's against, basically. And one of them was no work, and so he's just been getting a fucking deluge of of MLs. Uh, quote tweeting him all day and like saying like basically comparing him to a child because he's anti-work uh and the funniest thing is like most of them are disabled so they don't work so they're saying that if you don't work you're a child if you don't want to work you're a child and they don't work I they're also they're- all like 20 years old or younger so <laughs> I think I think there's just a lot of people that don't understand. They're they're not they're not informed. Well, they just refuse enough. to understand. True, um, but I also like you know me. I feel bad for people that are stupid. Um, <laughs> I mean, the best I, one was the best one was someone said like that he never reads theory, and then like went on to do the whole "if you don't want to work, you're a child" thing, and I'm just like. Uh, hmm, yes, uh, yes, you, uh, he never reads theory, uh, by the way, uh, abolition of work is stupid. Like, 
you've never read the theory of work abolition, have you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, could you make this any easier for us? Because uh, it's so difficult, like, really. Yeah, it's it's so funny, like... Uh, I mean... Man, all I know is I woke up this morning and I had, like, 300 notifications on Twitter. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, I went viral. I went viral. And I checked. And it's just a, a fuckload of comments on all the threads that I, like, put one comment in. Yeah, and no one took you out of the mentions. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and like I got all excited, but there's nothing to be excited about. Yeah, yeah I got five likes on one of my tweets, and, and that's about it. But yeah, it's so fucking funny, dude. Like, there's like all of these MLs on Twitter. I'm not saying it's all of them. I I know that there's MLs that do good work in real life, but Twitter MLs are are quite a bit different because they they spend all day posting about how anarchists don't do anything and anarchists are are wreckers and they're the cancer of the left they they basically like spend all all of their time complaining about anarchists and it's like i mean it seems like you're doing more work to ruin your movement by complaining about people who like really don't give a shit about you like all fucking day <laughs> my favorite bit is that um essentially all these these people that so firmly believe in the labor theory of value and also um, in authoritarian states uh, have a fuckload of time to sit on a capitalist network and just shitpost all day. So, yeah. uh, um, well, it's why labor. Are you, so, <laughs> why are you against capitalism if you're clearly not interested in in doing anything? Like you're not you're not making any advances against capitalism, <laughs> and, and, and and I struggle I struggle I struggle. I think this is why I feel like I I don't really belong on Twitter because I don't get it. I don't get that level of. You're at the wrong level of irony. You're very sincere, and that that doesn't usually work. Yeah, especially yeah, yeah. if you're no, if you're it, joining in on on our threads. Where we're the most <laughs> irony poisoned people <laughs> on on Twitter. Um, I think my big issue is I am sarcastically challenged. Yeah, like, I, 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 you know, you just struggle. like your your approach to um, to arguing with people. What like what we're doing is basically like um, taking the you know the implication of what someone's saying and kind of going along with it and pointing out how it makes them look like a huge fucking idiot. Uh, whereas you're just like straight arguing their, like what, what they're saying. So yeah. we, we aren't even like arguing their point. We're not, we're not, we're not fighting There's on no their debate. turf. Basically. You're not debating. You're yeah, not exactly. Debating and I'm a debater. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. Debate uh, is in my blood. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we are debating in a way because we are like, sort of taking what they're saying seriously, but then like using it to point out how they're ridiculous and how that idea is stupid. Uh, yeah, basically. But we're doing it in a very trolly way, you know? Yeah, Twitter should basically just be renamed Argumentum Ad Absurdium. <laughs> yeah. So all you got to do... All I in, really see on there. That and Trump. That's all you got to do, instead of, instead of trying to prove people wrong, all you have to do is make them mad. That's that's the goal. 
make them mad and make them stop posting or just embarrass them. <laughs> That's the goal. <laughs> Why has no one actually said that? I can do that. I can make people angry. <laughs> Although, to be honest, I'm probably going to do it by just relentlessly debating in good faith. <laughs> like, okay, the archetypal example is is the way that I, I uh, d- so-called debate uh, libertarians and ANCAPs where they just say anything about markets and I just say markets are created by governments. Like that's, that's, that's always going to piss people off. Yeah. That's the archetype that's of what you need to do. Yeah. You just yeah. need to piss them off. And like, then you get like <laughs> eight or 10 of them quote tweeting and being like, wow, you're stupid. Like markets are, markets are created by governments. And then you just say, yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> yes they are don't, mm-hmm. don't, don't you know how to market research <laughs> yeah or my favorite new thing is just uh if someone says like some like x isn't this and i'm just like i just checked and yes it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, i've seen you do that several times now and every time it's just like oh you're not funny i just checked and yes i am <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm sitting there going where is Ryan finding focus groups that can tell him whether or not he is funny? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So, um, getting back to our actual podcast. Yeah, we've now that we've wasted our, enough time to fill out the full hour <laughs> with the rest of what we're talking about. <laughs> um, uh, in the days that followed the merger, um, the, the approval of the merger, there was an immediate drop in the share price of AT&T. Um, Why is that capitalized? And, oh, share price? Yeah. Um, I've got this really bad habit from my programming days of um, capitalizing the first letter of every word. And <laughs> although I've gotten much better at it, I, I tend to slip from time to time. So Yeah, uh, Camel Cap's master race here. So <laughs> I don't agree with that practice at all. <laughs> okay, so the reason the share price dropped is um, that several ratings agencies reduced the company's credit rating to just slightly better than junk status. Um, and quite understandably, this scared a whole lot of the investors in AT&T, the shareholders, the everyone. They, they got a little bit frightened. Oh, my God, we're going, we're heading for junk status. So sell, sell, sell. Um now, the reason for doing this was that AT&T is now the most indebted non-bank company in America. Um, and, and just to be clear, when I say um, most indebted, I mean $180 billion in debt. <laughs> now, this is a massive figure. And for obvious reasons, AT&T would have had to account for this turn of events as part of its analysis of the deal. Um, yeah, I can't imagine so, a reason that they would do that other than uh, we know that we're going to have dominant uh, status in the industries that we're in. And so the amount exactly. of debt that we have isn't going to fucking matter in a few weeks. Exactly. <laughs> now, for most people, it would seem cal- counterintuitive for them to ramp up their annual debt so extravagantly. Um, uh, uh, for the record, they've been upping it. Uh, pretty consistently over the last few years, it's gone from 120 billion five years ago to 160 billion in 2016, and so now um, they they they've um, upped it to 180 billion, and in some cases it's um, including uh, uh, 
changed revenue streams and opportunity costs and blah, blah. Uh, I read an article I couldn't find it again so it's not in the show notes um, where this guy basically um, established that they've got like 250 billion dollars in debt and um, it was based on that initial report that all of the rating agencies um, dumped the credit rating so badly now why so how could they have more are, debt than they how can they have more than, debt than, than they, what we think? Um, it, it it's complicated. Uh, it is discussed in one of the articles that I've linked. Okay. Um, it's the very last one. Um, it's an article on Seeking Alpha, uh-huh. which is a, a a very useful site, by the way, um, for anyone doing the kind of research that we do. It, if you're wanting to find out about the Kardashians, I don't I don't even know where to tell you where to go. Um, <laughs> Now, the question then for most people would be, why would these capitalists so not, uh, be so nonchalant about their debt levels and credit ratings? And, and obviously, the, uh, the, uh, for anyone that follows this kind of stuff, um, even, even vaguely, it's because AT&T are perfectly aware of the long game here. Because they know they are strategically positioned for the gradual rise in differential accumulation that is the hallmark of dominant capital. And because their annual revenue will ensure that they can service their debt adequately within at least one year to have their credit rating restored to its pre-merger levels. Literally, one year, and they will have made enough money to service everything. Also, there's the fact that their annual turnover... um, their annual revenue now matches their their debt levels. So you have another random capitalization here, but I actually agree with it this time because it it makes sense aesthetically to capitalize dominant capital. <laughs> oh, I think I, I yes, yes, I did that deliberately. Yes. Very very yes. very deliberately. <laughs> Yes, it's it's not a conspiracy to give them all a singular pronoun. <laughs> I was just pretending to be a dumbass. <laughs> no, it's because I, I, I love DC Comics, and I now know that DC stands for Dominant Capital, so... Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so for... Obviously, in, in many cases, um, one of the best ways to short... Um, the sh- uh, the the uh, a share price is, is to raise debt concerns, and uh, there's lots of Wall Street um, traders that have made a fair amount of money off the AT&T share price drop uh, because they were the ones to say uh, to talk about the 180 billion in debt um, without giving it any context, without explaining um, any of the the nuance that AT&T would have taken into account before going into the deal. But anyone who wants to look at this and go, ooh, well, look, AT&T is going to crash because too much debt. That's not how things work in in capitalism. Um, The money that gets loaned out, as long as the company is able to service uh, their balloon payments, no one gives a shit. (laughs) Um, Yeah. It's like I was going to say something, said, but I forgot. God damn it. it. It's like Obama said, debt is a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> I actually saw this. Um, there's this Australian um, 
duo that that does like parody kind of stuff. Oh, I think I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and they talk about um, God. What was this one about? It was was the EU debt one, right? No, 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 no. This was them talking about um, refinancing debt or something. Ah, fuck! I can't remember now. Oh, okay. God damn it! There's one that I'm thinking of where it like the video is called like uh, "What's Wrong with the Economy?" Explained or the economy explained in two two minutes or something like that, and. it's supposed to be like this guy interviewing an economist and uh, he's like, uh, how much does uh, the UK uh, owe other countries? And he's like, uh, 14 billion. Uh, how much does Germany uh, owe other countries? Uh, 16 billion. And uh, who do they owe it to? Uh, mostly other European economies. How much does Italy owe? Uh, two, uh, 200 billion. Uh, and to whom do they owe that? mostly the other european economies and like it's just like going through a list of all the countries in the eu and saying like they basically owe each other money (laughs) and there's no way that they could pay it back because they all owe each other and the debt doesn't make any sense (laughs) it's really funny i'll link it in the show in the um show description okay i i've i've actually found the one that i was talking about okay um i'm linking it to you in in Skype and and you can check it out in your own time and decide whether or not you you want to add it in. Okay. Oh yeah, I think that's, a, that's a different pair of people. Uh, yeah, no, these guys are Australian, um, and they go on. Um, oh no, this is exactly the video I'm talking about. Oh, is it? Yeah. Really? I'm pretty sure. No, 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 no. Hold on. It, it's got to do with just. Oh no, <laughs> it's a different one, but it's the same pair of guys. Yeah, they're hilarious. They, they they did this. The first thing I ever saw by them was them talking about um, a shipwreck off the coast of Australia uh, where an oil tanker uh, spilled 20,000 um, liters of oil into the ocean. And, and they do this whole skit where he's like, uh, so can you tell us about uh, Yeah, the, uh, the front fell off. <laughs> he's like what do you mean is this is this normal we just want to say this is not normal the front doesn't usually fall off <laughs> <laughs> and they do this old skit it's hilarious yeah uh, for those of you who want to check it out it's john clark and brian Daw, um and and they've got a whole range of these skits where where they basically mock politicians that co- that go on on tv to talk about pertinent issues yeah. All right. Uh, so I guess we should finish out the episode now. Oh, it's been so quick, Ryan. I know. So I know. Quick. I talked too fast. Didn't derail Ryan, enough. The, <laughs> this is what happens when we cover contemporary issues, like stuff that's just happened rather than um, talking about theory or, or um, analyzing the political economy of a movie or anime universe. Um, <laughs> this is, is what happens uh, when I drink pre- coffee and tea in the morning before the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's that's definitely what Ryan was drinking before the show today, folks. Definitely, that's what it was: coffee yeah. and tea. <laughs> yeah, I'm created and caffeinated. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So, all right. So back to the AT and T thing. Uh, so many on the left have been predicting another Gilded Age since the election of Trump. Um, I, I believe uh, Matt on, on Chapo has, has done this a lot. And I think this merger is a strong sign that they may be right about that. 
Um, AT&T has not only been allowed to become more of a monopoly than it was prior to its breakup in 1982, uh, but the, the courts did so with fawning eagerness. Um, and this may be the beginning of a backlash, as, as Peter said, against the massive Silicon Valley tech industry, since the primary competitors named in the trial were Google and Facebook. Uh, and because net neutrality is no longer SEC policy, uh, this could also be the beginning of the end of de facto net neutrality, um, as AT&T is already saying it will offer Warner Media content for free uh, for its telecom service customers. And as we found out yesterday, uh, that is absolutely true. <laughs> um, yeah, do you have any any takeaways from this? I I just I feel like. Um we were when we were discussing the show um, in our private chat the other day. Uh, you said that you think this is going to be the start of a split in the internet, and mm-hmm. and I, 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 it's been it's been running in my head since you said it, and I I, I can't help but agree. I feel like um, obviously we now wait to see how big tech is going to respond because we know they are going to respond. Um, yeah, so real quick, the idea behind that is, you know, I was just like spitballing, basically. And, um, you know, because most people that are on the internet really only use like a couple of sites like like Amazon and, um, you know, maybe like Wikipedia. Um, what else did I say? I can't even remember at the time. Um, well, I've, got the, I've, I've got it right in front of me. But anyway, um, like, you know, like a lot of people actually think, like, for example, that, that the entire Internet is just Facebook. So there, there are people who are surprised to learn that there are other websites besides Facebook. Um, and I think that's especially true for, like, the older generation that it hasn't grown up with the Internet. Um, but also yeah. possibly the very young generation where the Internet to them has always just been apps. Um, so I think there yeah, could be, it, like... Go ahead. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm just agreeing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, I think there could be like like s- some fractious um, version of the internet coming in the future where everything does look more like apps. And, you know, ISPs basically each have their own internet. So like AT&T will have, you know, like AT&T U-verse or whatever, like their version of uh, the internet where you just you access it through an app and they have um you know a set of websites that um that they make available to their customers and then you know uh Verizon has a different set of of websites that is available to their customers and you know the the public internet will kind of atrophy um like uh there I remember a while ago um tech business people were floating the idea of not using DNS anymore. So DNS is like when you type in www.google.com, your computer pings a DNS server uh, with the the name that you typed in, and then it tells you the IP address of the machine that you're trying to connect to, and then you connect to it via the IP address. Um, So a while ago, they were floating the idea of getting rid of that because uh, most people... Uh, who browse the internet now, uh, when they want to find a website, they don't go to www.facebook.com. They just type it into Google, which is their homepage, and then they click on the site there. So, like, there's no need for DNS. So, like, that was already a possibility of the internet as we know it, like, not functioning anymore. And obviously, this would give undue power to Google, 
because Google can decide uh, on your behalf what you're looking for. So if you type in, you know, something more obscure, like, I don't know, like uh, Marxists, Marxists, it's really hard to say that. Uh, if you're trying to go to the site to read Marx, you know, they could change their page rank algorithm and, you know, put it on page two of the results. And, you know, page one could just be like, why Marx is an evil person who killed 100 million people. Um, so that that would give them a lot of control. And then, you know, the the app ecosystem has, has also uh, done this to quite a degree where, you know, a lot of people are, are only accessing the Internet through um, through these, um, private, um, like isolated programs that only do that, that only access one website. Um, and, and that could be more like what the future of the internet is going to be. And part of the reason I think this is true, uh, which I mentioned to Peter is that, um, Microsoft recently bought GitHub, uh, which is another major acquisition that's kind of, alarming to me um uh and whoops um um yeah microsoft bought github and um they are also trying to uh rewrite all their all their infrastructure like all of the um basic parts of the uh, windows os in uh the windows universal platform which is an app store platform so like Windows has its own app store and basically like all of the normal programs that you use, like, um, you know, media player and, and the, your, your browser that comes on windows and, and all that stuff. Um, it's all in their app store version of, of the program. So instead of getting software from the internet, um, you're going to be getting it through their app store. And so not only are they going to control, um, all access to programs on Windows OS, which I, I think they're probably going to push people into moving everything into their app store, like the way that Apple is doing. Um, they also are going to control all of the um, apps in all the uh, applications in development through GitHub. Um, so any even even open source software, because GitHub is the biggest platform for op- open source software. Um, so they're going to control projects in development and um, in release um, at the same time, and so they can just force everything to be in in apps. And you know that's that's a crucial step to um, creating like a sort of private internet for you know certain businesses only. And then they'll be able to charge um, you know ser- services like Facebook and Netflix um, for being part of their version of the internet. Man, yeah, I think, uh, like I said in that same chat, I'm convinced the world is fucked and we're living in the last days of almost getting there, but never quite. Yeah. Um, my prediction is that was that um, there will be a new offshoot company, like a holding company of sorts, almost like other companies have done, um, that have equal shares split between Google, Apple, Amazon, and Netflix. Not including Facebook, because we both agree Facebook's going to be dead in a few years. Um, and that this offshoot company is going to focus on expanding Google's infrastructure so that it will eventually rival the big telecoms companies. That's my yeah. prediction. I'm sticking to it. 
Also, um, I will sue anyone that uses net neutrality without at least crediting me. Yeah, that's what our Patreon money is going to now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, we, we've already lawsuits. hired lawyers. We, we've already hired lawyers. <laughs> they're, they're great. They're great at their jobs. Speaking yeah. of which, they have um, their own podcast. I've, by the way, it's called Mike Dicta. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my wife and I have recently been re-watching um, The Good Wife, which uh, uh-huh. and I'd, I'd, I've always enjoyed law shows um, when they're good. You know? not, not fucking statist. <laughs> um, and uh, it was interesting. We were watching an episode this morning uh, from, I think it's like season four or something. And uh, the the fictional uh, tech company um, that features most heavily um, in the show is called Chumham, and they're basically Google. Uh, it's they are a tech on fucking bizarre name. Chumham, yeah, <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. Um, they're a search engine, but not just a search engine. They they do a lot of stuff just like Chumham does, uh, like Google does. Sorry. Um, and in this episode, they were basically um, anyone who didn't buy their advertising um, would immediately uh, the the algorithm would be tweaked to um, when you do a search for them, you automatically get told did, uh, did you uh, were you asking about this or this or this or this? So if you type in um, uh, pick something weird, AT&T. Um, if AT&T had not purchased advertising through Chumham, the the result would come up saying, did you mean Apple? A&W? <laughs> well, no. They, they, they make root beer. The, oh, okay. No, they, 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 they literally they um, redirect you to your competitors. And, mm. and that's not so far-fetched. Now that, now that I've read what I've read today, Jesus Christ. AT&T, AT&T, they're saving the world like only capitalists can. One merger at a time. One merger at a time, people. Okay, so our conclusion for today would have to be that breaking up AT&T was the wrong decision. What should have happened was nationalization of AT&T or simply the creation of a public utility to avoid letting business control infrastructure at all. Oh. Yeah. Also, um, destroy capitalism and establish anarchism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that 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 would be. Oh God, that would be so good. <sighs> yeah. All right. Uh, I think that's all we have today. Um, except for our plugs, Ryan. Our plugs. Yeah. Facebook.com slash neighbor science, Patreon.com slash neighbor science, Instagram at neighbor science, Twitter at neighbor pod. Uh, follow me at handle rye. Follow Peter at book cheek guy. Done. Bam. Bam. <laughs> Damn. You've been practicing that. Nope. <laughs> Don't lie, Ryan. Everyone can hear that you've been practicing. <laughs> Not even a little bit. I mean, I've done it like 43 times now <laughs> from doing the podcast, but yeah. He, uh, and yeah. Just so everyone knows, he is lying. He stands in front of a mirror every morning and psychs himself up by doing our planks. So yeah. Also, I'm lying because we don't number our episodes, <laughs> and uh, I have no idea what number we're on. Um, I'm somewhere in the 30s by now. I'm hoping. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, I forgot one. 
uh, postscarcitymagazine.com that has all of our um, podcasts as well as the Post Scarcity Magazine. Um, and uh, you can search by tag on there. So if you want to look for other political economy episodes or look for anime episodes, you can go on that site and uh, find it easily that way. That's actually the most important so, one because you should all be reading Post Scarcity Anarchism magazine. It is a yeah. great magazine. Uh, and, and, and you should also give us a rating on iTunes. Yeah, please. Five-star ratings only. Anyone who posts a four-star rating, we have the means will to sue. find you. And then use... Uh, <laughs> the legal system to bring you to your knees. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.